days where you get a one-man show. Um, don't worry. I don't charge double on these days. Um, it's so good to be able to open the word with you. Again, my name is Jared Manning. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. Chad Poe also serves as our teaching pastor, along with um, some of our lay elders uh, who have the privilege of shepherding this body here at Grace. Um, we have been in a series uh, since uh, the beginning of this month in the book of Lamentations. Um, which is weird for a, a lot of churches. They may not spend much time in the book of Lamentations. Chad and I have been throwing around the idea of preaching through this book for a few years now and um, have kept going, this is not the right time, this is not the right time, but uh, this year we felt like it was the right time to dive into this book. It's, it's heavy, um, but life is heavy. Uh, things that are going on around us every day are heavy and painful. Um, and we need to be reminded that we have a Savior and a God who, though sovereign over every event in our lives, comes into our weakness and our pain, and He weeps with us. Today, we're going to be moving out of Lamentations. Greg uh, Baker preached for us last week, and um, we were not in Lamentations last week either. Uh, we were in Psalm 51 looking at David's lament over his sin. This week we are going to be in Luke chapter 19, so you can join me there. We'll begin in verse 41 and read through verse 44. <clears throat> I'm going to wait until I hear pages turning. Um, some of you have become too dependent on the screen. The fun thing about a screen is, is we could change the words to the scripture text and you would never know. Um, but if you have a printed Bible in front of you, you will know if I change things. And so I want you to know if I'm saying anything that's not right. So in Luke 19, we'll begin in verse 41. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day... What would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They'll surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that for millennia, your word has remained. That today we have your word printed for us. We have a wealth of resources in order that we might know you and love you. Father, I confess this morning that I am guilty of not availing myself of all the, the wealth and the treasure of, of written things that we have about you. 
And so, God, this morning, I pray that you would help us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us know about you from your word, that you would help me speak what is true and not false. And God, that by knowing, we would love you more and love our neighbors more. It's for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, we pray. Amen. So as we look at the book of Lamentations, we've been looking at Jeremiah and his lament over the judgment that is coming upon Israel for their sin and the rejection of God as king. Today, we're going to be looking at the first time that Jesus weeps. We, we have a story of Jesus weeping again over Lazarus, and Josh Dawes is going to preach on that in a few weeks But this is the first time we've actually looked at God in the flesh weeping over anyone. I'm going to show you a little later how this passage actually connects directly to what we see in Lamentations chapter 2. But first I want to walk you through this short text, though there's a lot to be learned from it. First, I want to look at the context that we're in here. So, if you look back, just a couple of verses, it says that uh, as Jesus was drawing near to the city, in verse 37, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So this passage, directly before Jesus weeps, is actually maybe labeled in your Bible the triumphal entry. Jesus has told his disciples to go into the city and they'll find a colt tied up. And when they find this, take it. And if the owner asks what it's for, tell them the Lord has need of it and they'll just let you go. And so that's exactly what happens. And they take the colt to Jesus, and he sits on it, and he begins to ride into Jerusalem. And as he rides in, people are throwing down their coats and throwing palm branches on the ground, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's this rejoicing of the people that Messiah has come. And the Pharisees come in and they tell Jesus, quiet these people down. Shut them up. They're saying something about you that's not true. They're saying that you're the Messiah. Because what they're chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is actually a prophecy from Psalm 118 of the Messiah. The exact words that they're crying out. And the Pharisees are very offended by this. And they're telling Jesus, hush these people up. And Jesus says to them, if these people wouldn't say it, the very stones would cry out. In other words, I don't need the voices of men to declare who I am. See, I'm the sovereign of the universe. And if I want, I can cause these very stones to cry out. But what's interesting is there's this big triumphal rejoicing procession that Jesus gives approval to. And then the very next verse... As he approached the city, or as he approached and saw the city, the city being Jerusalem, he wept for it. 
or he wept over it. In a little bit, we'll talk about what this says of the heart of our God. But for now, I would say that Jesus rejoices with those who rejoice and he weeps with those who weep. We are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in the same way. And our Lord sets an example for us. But as we look at this passage, we have to ask the question, what's he weeping over? What's he lamenting? These people have declared he is the Lord. He is Messiah. He is King who has come. Why is Jesus sad? Isn't this the point that he is Messiah, that he is come to save them? Well, we're going to see why he weeps here in this passage. First, we're going to look at the explanation for Jesus' lament, and then we're going to look at the essence or the heart of Jesus' lament. But let's begin with the explanation, and we're actually going to kind of work backwards through the text a little bit. We're going to start in verse 44. At the end, it says, Jesus wept because you, speaking of the city, did not recognize the time when God visited you. Jesus laments the ignorance of God's visitation. Now, what is he talking about? That they don't recognize the time that God visited them. What is this visitation? Throughout the Bible, we have this word used a few different times. The word visitation or the phrase, he visited us, the Lord visited them. It was used to speak of God's coming to a people for the purpose of salvation or judgment. For instance, in Isaiah 29, 5 and 6, Isaiah says, but the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust, and in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. So in this instance, we have God visiting them for the purpose of judgment. He's visiting them with judgment, but he also visits his people to save and to redeem. Luke 1.68 says, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. And again in Luke 7, after Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead, we're told that fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. They recognize when God visits them to save. Earlier in the book of Luke in chapter 12, verse 54 and 56, we read this. When you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? This present time being God is visiting you to save you. And you don't know how to interpret this. Jesus laments over these people because the Messiah, God's son, the king they've been waiting for, has appeared to them and they don't recognize him or know him. They don't get it. 
Now you may be saying in this previous passage that we just read beginning in 37, it seems like they know blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But lest you forget, just a few days later, this same crowd cries the words, crucify him. What fickle people we are. In one instance, they praise him as the sovereign. In the next, they blaspheme him and murder him. So the question has to be asked, why did they not recognize him? And, and Jesus says, why? In verse 42, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? They didn't recognize him because they didn't know what brings peace. They should have known what brings peace. God had sent the prophets to tell them. It was written in the law. But they believed that the law itself would actually bring peace in their hearts. They believed that keeping the law strictly was going to save them. They missed what God was actually telling them, the terms of peace. Now, this, this phrase is interpreted in other translations or, or translated, the terms of peace. If you knew this day, the terms of peace. They don't recognize God in the flesh, in Jesus, because they don't recognize the terms of peace. So what are they? Another place in Luke. Again, Luke 14, 31 and 32, Jesus tells this parable. What king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. In other words, Jesus is giving them this, this illustration, if you will. If a nation has 10,000 soldiers ready to go to war and they know they're going up against another nation that has 20,000 soldiers, then the the king has to ask himself, are we ready for this? He has to assess whether they have the ability to defeat the coming foe. And when he realizes, no, I cannot defeat the coming foe, he sends a messenger ahead while the armies are still far apart and says, hey, how can we come to peace? Because this war we're about to enter into is not going to go well for me. And so I just need to know, what are your terms for peace? And in the same way, God has given the terms of peace. See, we have a foe, and Israel had a foe that they could not defeat. The foe being sin. And the wickedness of their own hearts. Their enemy was too large. And God had given them the law to show them and to expose to them that their enemy was way too big for them to defeat. And so God had sent his messengers... And told them, here are the terms of peace. We can have relationship again, but it's not going to come through the war that you are waging. It's going to come through the broken body and shed blood of my son, the Messiah. So Jesus says they don't know the terms of peace. But was it because God had not told them the terms Absolutely not. He had told them the terms, obviously, over and over again. They had the law, the prophets. They had the fathers. They had the writings and the Pentateuch. They, they knew what the terms of peace 
were, they knew what the Messiah would look like and what he would accomplish. Jesus in Luke 17 says when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. So Jesus reiterates the terms of peace in his earthly ministry. He's telling them, you're not going to see the kingdom of God coming over there or over there. It's here. I am bringing the kingdom. Luke eleven twenty. 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, Jesus says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So did they actually know that they had been visited by God? Did they know what makes for peace? Absolutely. God had made it clear. So why then does Jesus say, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? Well, we have to explain it by looking at the word new or know. What does he actually mean when he says, if you knew? We can't be talking about just an intellectual idea that they, they know of, right? Because that is what has been told to them. They've been, they've been given what they need to know. But this word know is very common uh, in Scripture. We see the same word used in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. It says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Now Jesus is the sovereign of the universe. He is the one by whom all things were created and for whom all things exist. Is Jesus telling these people that I didn't know you existed? Obviously not. <laughs> Jesus knows the very number of hairs on their head. Jesus knows a thought before it leaves their mouth. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see Jesus answer questions that haven't even been asked aloud yet. <laughs> Jesus knows these people. He knows who they are. He knows them better than they know themselves. Yet he says to them, depart from me for I never knew you. This word know is speaking of a relationship and an intimacy, uh, an approval, an embrace. I never approved of you. I never embraced you. I never made you mine. That's what Jesus means by depart from me. I never knew you. And this is the same sense that we have here. Though Israel knew and had an intellectual understanding of who the Messiah was to be, though God had told them and though Jesus had explained it to them, they had not embraced it. They had not approved of the terms of peace. They didn't believe it. They had rejected it. So why did they reject it? All this time, and here we are, Jesus has come. They've been waiting for the Messiah. And here he is, born where 
The prophet said he would be born doing exactly what the prophet said he would do, and yet they reject him. Why are they rejecting him? And again, the answer comes in verse 42, the second half. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And this gives us the second reason or explanation for Jesus weeping. But now it is hidden from your eyes. So in other words, before it had not been hidden from their eyes, but now it is hidden from their eyes. So they're rejecting Messiah because they don't have eyes to see. They can't see now. This is the present judgment on Israel. That they are blind to Messiah. Jesus has already proclaimed what was going to happen to Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37 and 38. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Other translations say, your house is left to you forsaken. What Jesus is saying here is that God has given you over to your sin. God has determined to give you over to what you wanted more than him. This is the same kind of judgment that Paul speaks of in Romans 1.28 when he says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. God just gave them over to what they wanted and in their sin, in being given over, they have now been blinded to the gospel. There's a beauty in this about who God is in Jesus Christ that we're going to look at in just a moment. But recognize this. The sovereign of the universe is weeping over something that he has the power to change and yet refuses to do so. He is weeping over something that he has the power to change, but he is not doing it. This is their judgment for their sin. As we saw in Lamentations, God takes sin seriously. And his seriousness about sin is for our good. He's not only sad here and weeping and lamenting over the present judgment, he's weeping over a judgment that is to come. And that we read of in 43 and 44. So let's look together at that. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. 
He's declaring over Jerusalem as he weeps over Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem is coming. Now that takes us back. This should be familiar to us. Lamentations 2 verse 11, Jeremiah. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I might comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? These words of Jeremiah foreshadow the words of Jesus. Jerusalem has been destroyed before. They've not learned from their sin and their wickedness, and they're about to be destroyed again. And that is what Jesus is telling them. Again, they, they were not blind to this before. Jesus had told them what was coming in a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, fattened cattle who have been slaughtered, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them, the king was enraged. And he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their city. This parable was about them. God had sent the prophets. They stoned them. They killed them. God had sent Jesus, and they were about to kill him as well. And so God's judgment was pronounced on Jerusalem. Destroy it and burn down the city. And that's what Jesus is telling them about this judgment that is to come. The days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you. They'll surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. We saw this fulfilled in 70 AD as Rome surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. And there was not one stone left upon another. The proclamations of God will come to fruition. What's beautiful in the language that Jesus uses here, and, and maybe this is, this is speculation, but I still find it quite interesting, the words he uses in 44. They will crush you. Your enemies are going to crush you. But as he weeps, what he knows is that he too will be crushed. Because it will please the Father to crush him for the sins of those he is calling to himself. Jesus will be crushed as well. 
These are the reasons that Jesus laments. He, he weeps because he has come over the mountain. He sees the panorama of the city of Jerusalem. And as he sees it, he cries for what could have been, but also for what he knows is coming. The suffering that he will endure to save people from their sins. I also want to look at the heart of his lament, the essence of Jesus' lament, the very heart of God as he cries over the city. You may be wondering why at this point that he's lamenting over something that it seems he could change. After all, he is sovereign. He could lift the veil from their eyes. He could give them ears to hear. He could save Jerusalem from judgment. He could come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He could march into the city with the people and begin to overthrow the Roman government and sit on the throne and rule and reign. But instead, he stands and he weeps. John Piper says this, Jesus reveals to us here something very deep about his heart. On the one hand, he expresses his grief that Jerusalem rejected his peace proposal. He weeps and he cries out, Oh, that you knew the terms of peace. But in the same breath, he bows before the sovereign decree of his Father in heaven. God has hidden these things from their eyes. The divine mind is not simple. It is complex. With Jesus, we get a glimpse into the heart of God. Viewing reality in one set of relationships, God is not willing that any perish. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He is grieved at sin and its destruction. But viewing reality in another set of relationships and from a larger all-encompassing perspective, he deems it right and praiseworthy sometimes to hide the terms of peace and to shut man up to his own sin and bring him into judgment. Another commentator says it was marvelous that the sovereign king of kings, the son and lord of David, who ordained from ages past that the builders would reject the cornerstone, felt profound grief over their blindness and rejection and deeply wished they had known all that he was doing to make peace. In his hiding the terms of peace from Jerusalem, he accomplishes, he accomplishes that which brings peace to the entire world. For only the one who has the power to punish sin is the one who has the power to forgive us our sin. The beauty in what Jesus is doing and what God is doing through blinding Israel to the terms of peace is he has now expanded the kingdom so that the whole world might know the peace of God and might live in it. Brothers and sisters, God's plans did not fail as Jesus stands weeping over Jerusalem. In hiding the truth from Jerusalem, God ensures the crucifixion of Jesus. Because they rejected Messiah, we get him as ours. Our 
all a part of God's beautiful plan and his heart for us. Things that we can't comprehend, things that we can't understand, but we know two things can be true. At one time, God can both hide the truth from these people and weep over the brokenness of their sin and what it will lead to. Continuing that parable from earlier, the king told his servants after they burned the city, the banquet is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go then to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Jerusalem will be burned. Jerusalem will be destroyed. And now the gospel goes to the entire world. The invitation goes out to you. You now get a seat at the table of Christ. Today, God has visited us in his word. As the city of Jerusalem was crushed by Rome, so too has Christ been crushed by the Father for your sin. The stone that was rejected by the builders has become our cornerstone. Will you know your day of visitation? Will you embrace the Messiah? Will you embrace Christ crucified for your sins? Will you repent and believe that he died in your place? Will you put your faith in the risen Christ who rules and reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords? Will you trust the Prince of Peace today? Because just as assuredly as judgment was coming for Israel, judgment is coming for every one of us. There's coming a day when the Lord will visit us in his wrath and judgment. And on that day, just as it was here for the Jews, it would be too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Know God's visitation now that he has come to save you in Jesus Christ. In a few moments, we're going to take communion Communion represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our sins. And each week we look at and we feast on the broken body and shed blood of Jesus to remind us what it took to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. And if you are not a believer here this morning, I would ask that you don't take of these elements, but that you would watch and observe. And if you have questions about what it means, to follow Jesus, I would love to have that conversation with you after the service. There are those around you as well. As you see them moving, if you want to know the Lord, if you want to know the day of God's visitation, grab someone and ask them what it means to belong to Jesus. Don't wait until it's too late. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.
that we have a Savior who weeps with us? That we have a Savior who is broken for us? And God, that we have a King who is risen and He rules and He reigns over us. Pray this morning that we wouldn't let our day of visitation pass that we would repent and turn to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we sing, you can stand and we would invite